The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, in just a couple of days, it'll be over. Everybody is worried. Everybody's paying attention. Who's going to be elected? And I think people are not just so much concerned about what the outcome of the election is, but what will the outcome be of the person who gets elected? In other words, what's their presidency going to be like? Well, it has some people concerned. And as you might expect, some people are just saying, what are you going to do? And they throw up their arms and maybe won't vote. Some people maybe have some questions, though, like Christians. What does God want in this election? Or more specifically, who does God want in this election? Or simply asking the question, how will God's hand be in this? Well, today in our series of messages entitled Believe, we want to look at God's election. But I want to tell you, it's not what you might be thinking, at least at first. I'm not going to be talking about the election Tuesday night a little bit at the end of the message. I'm going to focus on something else. You see, there's a teaching in the scriptures about God's election. And what it teaches us is that God has done the electing, the choosing, and he has chosen you. As we understand that, that'll give us a better perspective on what to expect Tuesday night and thereon. So let's spend a little bit of time looking at God's election of you as the Apostle Paul unfolded it for us in these beautiful words in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, when you think about elections, obviously your attention is focused on the people, the candidates. And what are their qualifications? Do we think they can get the job done? Do we think that they will be good at what they're doing? In God's election, however, the focus is altogether different. It starts and ends with God, not you. Now, when we talk about elections and campaigns, we hear about all the planning that goes into things. We hear about policies that are proposed. We hear of promises. We hear of people involved. Well, we can look at some of those same things with God's election and choosing of us, starting with his planning. At the very beginning of that uh, verse that I read, he pointed that out. He said, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Wow. Before we ever existed, before the world ever existed, God already had us in mind. God already knew about us. And God already had planned to save us. Now let me ask you, do you know things in advance? I know everybody wants to know already what the election is going to be like. And, and we like to know things in advance sometimes because it gives us a bit of certainty. But we certainly can't think very far ahead. And God, before the creation of the world, already knew about us and planned our life. Now notice how he did the planning. It says he chose us in him, that is in Christ. It's in him, through his blood, that God carried out his plan for us. So simply put, it reminds us that the planning, the choosing that God made of us was in Christ. It's not that he looked out ahead and saw something valuable in us. It's not that he saw something good in us that he could say, yeah, those are the kind of people I want in my kingdom. No, what he saw in us was a great need for him, for his love, for his blessing, for his working in our life. So God then set out to plan our salvation. Paul goes on to say, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There he's telling us that God predestined us, which simply means pre-planned. You know, we do a lot of planning, pre-planning, right? Whether it's trips or our education or our careers or whatever might be. So God pre-planned, predestined our life, our birth, our family and upbringing, our education, all the various things that happened in our life, including things that we would say were negative, like illnesses or other challenges or setbacks. God knew all those things, and he worked them all in his plan to be for our 
benefit. Now it said he used all those things in conformity with his purpose. Paul tells us three purposes for God's election and working in our life. The first one here is for our adoption to sonship. God's purpose is that we would be brought into his family. He brought us, he gave us, he brought us to life, he gave us new life so that we could be brought into his family, adopted to sonship. Now that doesn't mean we're treated like we're little children. Instead, we're given the full rights of sons. We're treated as adults. He has given us all the blessings of his kingdom. And that's what Paul was referring to when at the beginning of our text he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. To be brought into God's family, to be adopted to sonship, we have the full rights. We have every spiritual blessing because God has blessed us according to the riches of his grace. Now, what does that mean? It means, first of all, we know who our king is. And we know that we are citizens in his kingdom first. And we know that every blessing, then, that he has in mind for us, and every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. That will not and cannot be taken away from us. So we've been adopted to sonship. Paul also said there was another purpose God had for working in our life, and that was to bring us to faith, to bring us to saving faith. And so as he pre-planned our life, he made sure that somewhere in there, this would happen. He said, he made known to us the mystery of his will. And a little later, so that he would so that our hope would be put in Christ when we heard the message of truth, so that we would believe. God's plan for our life is that we would be brought to a saving faith in him. And that comes when we hear the gospel message. That comes when we receive the sacrament. That's what God uses to bring us to saving faith and to keep us in saving faith so that we are his for eternity. And then Paul says there's one more purpose, that we might be for the praise of his glory. Three times in this passage, Paul uses those words, to the praise of his glory. Now think about that. God is saying you are for the praise of God. Wow. You know, we look at the creation, we look at the world, and, and we see God's glory there, his power and his wisdom. What does he see in me that brings him glory? His grace, his mercy, his love and acceptance. We are for the praise of God's glory because he has saved us and brought us into his family. That's God's purpose for working in our lives. That's why God has chosen you. 
Now, the Apostle Paul used that phrase, to the praise of his glory, three times in that text. Each time it was connected with one of the persons of the Trinity. Now, in campaigns, we, we focus our attention on people, whether it's the candidate themselves or, or maybe other people that they have working for them or, or even looking ahead to see who they might have in their cabinet. The Apostle Paul focused on some persons, too, but not people. His focus was on God and the three persons of the Godhead. In this, he was reminding us of the Father's will how it was God the Father who desired us to be in his family and pre-planned and worked out our life in conformity with that purpose. It was God the Son who carried out that work. We are told that we have been redeemed, we've been brought into the family of God through Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed, it says, through his blood, which gives us the forgiveness of sins. That word uh, forgiveness in in the Greek language that it was written in means sending away. And it brings to my mind the picture of what they did in the Old Testament. The priest would take a goat and and put his hands on that goat to symbolize the the transference of, of guilt. And then they would take that goat, called the scapegoat, and they would lead it out into the wilderness and send it away to illustrate to everybody that that's how God deals with our sin. He transferred it on to Jesus Christ, his son. And Jesus then was sent away from God. Our sins were sent away from God so that they would no longer be with us. But what God did give us then was the righteousness, the the obedience, the perfection of Jesus through faith in him. And with that resurrection, he declares to us, we are forgiven and will live forever. It's the work of God's son, Jesus Christ, that has made us God's people. But at the end of our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul also talked about the Holy Spirit. He said, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. He refers to the Holy Spirit and his sealing work. The word that was used there was maybe bringing to mind a picture like this, where a wax seal was put on a document and the official would take his signet ring and press it in. Now, that was done for several reasons. One, to show the finality of the arrangement, the finality of the deal. It was done. Second, it was done to give authenticity to the document. This was really from that official. And third, it was done to provide security. You could see how they would roll that up then and seal with it, seal it with that wax so that nobody would tamper with it. Well, in the same way, God has given us the Holy Spirit to tell us of the finality of the situation. We've been redeemed. 
We've been given Christ through the Holy Spirit who brought us to faith. It's done. And it's authentic. We have God's own word and God's own promise. We have God himself inside of us as a guarantee. And that's our security. It's the Holy Spirit who guards us, keeps us in faith through word and sacrament. And that's why we're always encouraging you to be in the God's word and to take the sacrament because that's how God protects you in saving faith. All of that adds up to this, simply God's promise. We hear politicians making promises. Campaigns are all about promises. God has a promise for us too. He said that Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our final redemption. In other words, he's telling us you are his forever. That word deposit and guaranteeing was a word that was used to refer to an engagement ring. Just like a guy's going to give his gal an engagement ring as a promise that he's going to marry her. So God has given us the Holy Spirit as the promise of a wonderful marriage. And next week, Sunday, in our last message on this series of Believe, we're going to talk about the fulfillment of that promise with the resurrection and heaven. You won't want to miss it. All right, so a lot of attention is being focused on the election this week. And for a lot of people, it's kind of confusing. Not only who to vote for, but what to vote for, because there are so many different measures that are on the ballot, too. There's measure B, and there's measure HH, and then there's measure this, and measure 57, and measure 61, and measure 55. There was one measure on commercial. They gave the number. They didn't even say what it was about. They just said vote yes for it. I'm confused, but I'm not confused about God's measure. We can entitle it Measure You. You get it? Now, I'm not quite sure why they call those ballot things measures, because when I hear measure, I think you're measuring something. You're seeing how good it is or if it meets a certain standard. God's measure is not about us, because we would fail. But what God does measure us with is Christ. We are measured in him and therefore chosen. The other day on the radio, I heard a little news story. It was about uh, people buying personalized license plates. And they said the re uh, that in, in one country in the Middle East, a person paid $5 million to get the personalized license plate that just had the number five on it. But he said that wasn't the highest price. He said somebody paid $14 million in the Middle East to have the license plate that said number one. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Just to have a license plate that says number one? Well, I want to tell you that God paid a lot more to make you, all of you, number one. He paid the price of his son to give you that identity 
in Christ. Now with elections, we are thinking about the future, aren't we? We're thinking about our life and how we want it to be better. So we want to pick good candidates who can get the job done. We want to vote for the right measures so that life will be better. But it doesn't always turn out that way. Because this world just is not perfect. There are sinners running government. There's sin in the world. And a creation that's been ruined by sin. But yet God's promise to us is nothing but full blessings. His plan for us here and up there is nothing but full blessings. So when you look at your life, when you look at conditions in our country or conditions in the world, remember this. No earthly election or ruler can change what God has done for you in Christ. And that is your certainty. Now when you go and vote on Tuesday, you get the opportunity to get a little sticker that says, I voted. And it's to show everybody you were patriotic and did your thing. Well, will you show that you have confidence in God's election of you and the certainty of all the blessings that he has planned in this life and the next for you? How will you show that certainty? Not by worrying, not by complaining, but by trusting and praising and sharing that message with others. So let's talk a little bit about what life should be like after the election. Thinking of the election coming up on Tuesday, a lot of people are concerned that maybe it's going to be rigged or maybe there's going to be some voter fraud going on and we really won't know who is really elected. Sometimes people think that way about their own relationship with God too. How do I know? How do I know for sure? So life after the election, life your life after God's election of you should start with this. The Apostle Peter writes, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's start with this being convinced about our election. And how can we be convinced of it? Listening to what God says. Knowing what God has done. Get into the scriptures so that you are reminded of God's plan and work for you. And then, live with confidence. Don't have to look forward to uncertainties and worries, not when Jesus is in control. The promises that politicians will make are questionable, because sometimes they just say things to get elected, and sometimes they really mean well, but just don't have the power to carry it out. Not true with our God. Just as if we were to write a check, and knowing there's money in the bank to back it up, so God has given us a promise 
And with his power and with his grace, every promise is backed up. So let's be assured of this, that no matter who is president, Jesus is king. Then there's one more thing we can do. The Apostle Paul wrote this. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We're urged to use our voice and make our vote count. Use your voice, Paul says, to pray. You know, we have the most powerful being in the universe on our side and who wants only to bless us. He invites us to simply call upon him and ask for the blessings we need and the blessings others need. That's the most powerful thing we can do with our voice. Well, in a few days, it'll all be over. Some people are getting kind of tired of hearing about all the politics. But please, don't grow tired of hearing how God loves you and how he has planned out everything in your life to keep you in his love. Next week, you will hear that promise of resurrection and heaven. And as we now move into this holiday season, see these opportunities to thank God, to praise him, and to rejoice for what he has done, making you his forever. And as you look ahead in this life, do so without fear, because you know your place is in the kingdom of God. So, believe because this is God's election of you. Amen.